0: So we have I just want to catch you up before we read that together. Um, we've been for the last six weeks, uh, going through uh, a series on what, as we understand it, what is the mission of the Christian Church? What has God sent us into the world to do? Now there are lots of things that God wants us to do in the world. He wants us to, to provide for our families. He wants us to be good neighbors. He wants us to do great work in our vocations. He wants us to do justice. In our cities, But the essence of our mission, the essence of what he's sending us into the world to do is this. It's to make disciples of Jesus. It's to help other people to know the love of God, the love of God that compelled them to send his son into the world to die so that we could live, to know that love and then to respond to that love by trusting in him, by following him, by devoting their lives to him. We're here to make disciples. And we've been looking at kind of different facets of this mission by a little bit jumping around the Bible. We haven't just been just working through a book of the Bible, which we often do and love to do, but we've been jumping around a little bit, looking at different facets of this mission together. And, and so because of that, the last time we were in the book of Acts, which was three weeks ago, we were in chapter two, and now we're kind of jumping over some stuff to get to chapter four, and I just want to catch you up on what's been happening. So in chapter two, if you guys remember, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, gave us kind of this, this snapshot of the life of the, the early Christians, the first church in Jerusalem, this snapshot of their life together that they were, they had this, because they had this new life from God, this new life in the Spirit, they had this insatiable hunger to be together. They just loved to be together, to gather and to learn from the apostles' teaching, to pray together, to take communion together. They just loved this gathering. And so they were gathering together, and God was with them, the apostles were doing these Signs and wonders, uh, Luke tells us, these miracles in the sight of all people. And the compelling love of this community and these things that God was doing were drawing more people in. Luke tells us that day by day, God was adding to their number those who were being saved. And so, so that's kind of the snapshot of what was happening. And in Luke chapters 3 and 4, which is what we're kind of, we're kind of skipping over... Luke gives us an instance, a story, a kind of example of the kind of thing that was happening. And so this is what was going on. So Peter and John, who were two apostles, they were two of Jesus' disciples, they were leaders of the early church, they were going up to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. And as they were going up, they saw a man begging. He was on the ground. He was, the Bible tells us, Luke tells us, he had been lame from birth. He was disabled in his legs and he couldn't work because he, he couldn't walk and so he he depended on alms he depended on giving from people who were just going up to the temple to worship they would drop a few coins in and he would he would eat for another day and so he's begging and he says to Peter and John can you give me something and Peter says to him well I don't have any money but I'll give you what I have stand up and walk and, and the man was healed. He stood up. This guy who'd been lame for 40 years. Ever since he was born, he couldn't walk. And now he was walking and leaping and praising God. And he was in the temple. It was kind of a high traffic area. So lots of people saw it. And it began to draw a crowd. They, they recognized this guy. That's the guy who's always out here begging. And now we look at him. And so this crowd gathers. And Peter takes advantage of it. And he preaches. He preaches about Jesus. And at least 2,000 people believed what he was saying trusted in jesus and were added to the church and that caused some trouble for the religious leaders the religious leaders the same people were in power who had orchestrated the death of jesus and they did not want to see this thing they thought that they'd kind of put this thing to bed by killing jesus and now it's just spreading like wildfire so they they don't know what to do they they take the apostles they throw them into jail they just leave them in jail overnight until they can kind of get together in the morning, have a meeting, and decide what to do. And they, the next day when they meet, they say, well, we, they're too popular to punish. They, everyone saw what they did. Everyone can see that this is the guy who was lame for 40 years. He's leaping and praising God. We can't, we can't punish them for this. There's too many witnesses. So we're not, we're not going to punish them now. We're just going to threaten them about what's going to happen if they keep it up. And we don't, we don't know what the threat was. The, luke doesn 't record it for us, but you can, you can bet that it involves some kind of reminder of now you guys remember what happened to Jesus when he wouldn 't stop preaching, just just remember what we could do, and then they sent them out okay so that 's what 's been going on, and that 's the real first, the first storm cloud in the book of Acts to this point. Uh, Everything's been going so well. Just Peter got up on Pentecost. He preached 3,000 people believed. He healed this guy. A crowd gathered. He preached 2,000 people believed. It was, it, the, the gospel was spreading, and they had the favor of all the people, Luke tells us. And now, now there's a storm cloud. Now, this is the first kind of sign that this is not going to go the way they maybe thought it was going to go, that, that it's going to be costly to be faithful to the mission. Now, they knew that if they continued to speak, it was probably going to end up with some of them in jail some of them beaten, maybe some of them killed. And and so what did they do? How did they respond to that reality? That's where we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. So would you please follow along as I read. When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, God you you are the same today as you were in this room with these frightened believers you are the same god today as you were before you created the world you are the same yesterday today and forever you are the god who you are the god who gives grace the god who is present with his people the god who makes himself known the god who empowers and we pray Father that this morning that you would come and you would be with us as we as we look to your word as we use our minds to try to understand what you've said I pray that we would hear you speaking today and that your powerful word would have its effect on us on our church and on our country we pray it in Jesus name amen amen so what did they do they prayed They didn't give up. They didn't close up shop. They didn't say, we're going to have to lie low for a while. We're going to have to get out of town. They prayed. They had seen too much of what Jesus had said, what Jesus had done. They'd seen too much to just turn their back on the mission when it got costly, but they also knew that that what was happening was going to be too much for them on their own, and so they prayed. And if disciple-making was too much for the apostles, don't you think it's going to be too much for us on our own. Only God can do this. And the way we get God involved is through prayer. Your effectiveness, your effectiveness, we've been talking about this for six weeks, but your effectiveness in making disciples, in seeing your spouse's heart towards God change, in seeing your children put their trust in Jesus, in, in seeing God use you in the lives of your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends and your family. Your effectiveness in making disciples will not exceed your faithfulness in prayer. Our effectiveness as a church in, in doing our mission, introducing people to Jesus and helping them grow by his grace, our effectiveness in that will not exceed our faithfulness in prayer. And there are many great things about this passage and this prayer, but I think maybe what's most encouraging to us as we start looking at it is just knowing that this prayer was answered. They asked God for boldness, and he granted it. This prayer was answered. And so it's clear that Luke has recorded this as an example for us. This is a prayer God answers. God wants to do this. Learn from this prayer. And so what can we learn from it? We're going to look at three facets of prayer from this passage this morning. It's context. It's confidence and it's concern. So, first, the context of prayer is a community on mission together. Look again at verse 23. Luke tells us when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So, while in this passage, Luke mainly focuses on the prayer itself, that prayer happens in a context, it happens in a certain kind of community. He tells us that Peter and John, when they, when they were released from prison, they, they, didn't, they didn't go home. They didn't, just, they didn't just need some time. They went to their friends. They went to their people. It, it, literally, it, it says, Luke says that they went to their own. They went to their own people to tell them what had happened. Now, now Christianity is, is God's provision for, I mean, this is an understatement, but for at least two needs deep in the heart of every human. And the first need that we all have is we all need a community, a group of people we can call my people, my own people. These are my people. This is my family. We need a place, a community where we belong, where we're accepted not because of what we know or because of what we can do, but just for our own sakes, for love. We need people who rejoice when we rejoice, who weep when we re- weep, when people we can go to when our life is just falling apart. And the second need we have is for a purpose greater than our own comfort, right? Because so many people are living lives that don't taste, that have no savor to them. They're, They're bland and they're unsatisfying because all they really want out of life is just to make enough money to indulge themselves and have an easy life. They have no purpose, no calling, nothing that's so compelling to them that they would put their comfort at risk, much less their lives at risk, to see it accomplished. And and Christianity, when a church is healthy, it satisfies both of those needs, right? On the one hand, it's a community that accepts one another, not based on what we know, not what we can do, not what you can do for us, but just just by grace, just because that's how God accepted us. We, We accept one another because we have the same Father, We have trusted in the same Savior. We're part of the same family, and so we receive one another. But we also have a purpose together that's greater than just getting together, sharing some laughs, chit-chatting over coffee, singing a few songs, and then going home, right? There's something—we're not just family. We're co-laborers. There's something we're trying to get done with our lives. We want to please God. We want to help other people know him. And we have, this, we have this shared mission of making disciples. And that's what Peter and John had. They had both of those things, right? When they, when they were arrested, when they were threatened, when they realized what this was going to cost them, they wanted to be with their people. They wanted someone to go to that would understand and care for them. They wanted to tell them their trouble. But they didn't just want comfort. They wanted someone that would help them pull together and focus on the mission. And so I want to ask if we, Sunrise, are we a community on mission together? We've been looking each week at, at this, what it means to be a disciple maker, that every disciple is a disciple maker, that everyone has this call from God to help other people know Jesus, know what he's done, and put their trust in him. Have you embraced that? Have you said, this, I know that this, this, this idea is overwhelming to me, and, and I don't think that I'm on my own up to it, and I know that I have a lot to learn, but yes, Lord, I'm in. I want this to be what my life is about. I want you to use me to bring people to you, to bring people to life, to help people grow in you, to help the nations praise you. I'm in. I'm all in. Are we all in? Are we a community on mission together? And this, here's how we're going to be able to tell. The way we're going to be able to tell is what we talk about and what we ask for prayer about. What we, when we're together, what we, what we talk about, what our life together is centered on. It, it's gonna, this is going to show. If we're on mission together, we're going to talk about it. When we get together, we're going to say, man, I have been, there's this, there's this guy at work, and I want to talk to him about Jesus, and just every time I have some time with him, I just let the chance pass by. Can you pray for me? Or we'll say, I've been meeting with my friend and we've been reading the Bible together and he has these questions that are just, they're over my head. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Or I've been, I've been preparing my lesson for Sunday school for the kids on Sunday and, and I just, I don't know how to put this in words that they can understand. We're gonna talk about these things because that's what we care about together. When we share prayer requests, they're gonna include where we're struggling to speak about Jesus. Now it's wonderful to have a community where you can share all your prayer requests, right? Where you can share your requests about ways in which you're sick and about problems in your family and about problems at work. We, we want to be that kind of community. But if that's all we share, then we're a community. But are we a community on mission together? Through the history of the church, seasons of revival, seasons where where God pours out his spirit in unusual ways, where lots of people turn and trust in him, where lives are changed, those seasons are often preceded by communities of believers devoting themselves to prayer. Prayer like, like these Christians prayed, not just for comfort, but for God to work. That's why we're gathering tonight. Now let's look at how they prayed. Secondly, the confidence of prayer the sovereign strength of God. Now there's, there's a place in the gospel accounts where Jesus, uh, a, a father comes to Jesus. A father comes to Jesus whose son is afflicted by uh, an evil spirit, by a demon. He, it, it causes him to, to have seizures and, and to fall in fires. It, it tries to hurt the kid. And the, the father comes to Jesus, he's desperate, and he says, if you can do anything, have mercy on us, have compassion on us, and help us, if, if you can if there's anything you can do now there's nothing like that in this passage is there there's none of this if you can look at how look at how they address god in verse 24 they call him sovereign lord now this word it means master it means one who has absolute authority over me it means one who has unlimited power master is what they call him they come to god persuaded There's nothing he can't do. And the way they pray is so wonderful because they don't don't come to God starting off with what they need, do they? They don't come to God kind of this formulaic Lord and then they just launch into here's the list of the things that we need. They start with God. Before they tell God any of their trouble, they start with who he is. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? We start by saying our Father who is in heaven. We don't start with us. They're afraid they have to be afraid, or they wouldn't be praying if they weren't afraid. So they turn to God, and they start to recall who he is, who he's revealed himself to be. They think, who is this God that we're praying to? What is he like? What has he said about himself? And they address him in verse 24 as the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They think of Genesis. They think of, of what God has said about himself at the very beginning of the Bible, that, that he is the maker of all things. He existed before all things. He spoke them into being with just his word, that he, he exists outside of everything that he's made. There's If God made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, then there's nothing in creation more powerful than he is, right? There's nothing that he made that could have any power over him that could stop his purposes. These religious leaders that are threatening their freedom and their lives, what are they? They're just creatures. They're just stuff God made. They can't stop him from doing what he wants to do. They have no power over him. So in in the Wendell house, we have been trying recently to steer our kids away from TV into more creative outlets. Just Make something, please. just stop just receiving from the TV. And so our older son Joshua, who's six, he's been really getting into drawing. He just it just fills sheet after sheet of paper with uh, maps of fictional places and pictures of him playing with his cousins and superhero battles, you know skyscrapes and people flying. And so we have, I mean, literally hundreds of sheets of white paper. In our house, that we will never look at again, and we feel like we can't get, we can't throw away, right? Because each each one is this like precious creation. Our younger son, Asher, um, he's he's three. He's not quite as you know a dex. He doesn't have the dexterity so much for drawing, but he's been working with Legos and he's been building cars and planes and spaceships. They they've been making these things and just you know leaving them all over our house. But Joshua's drawings and Asher's Legos have no more power over them than anything in creation has over God, right? He's the maker. He exists outside of it. Nothing in creation can stop him. This is this is hard for us to grasp, but we have to grasp it, right? My kids and I, we read Bible stories before bed, and we've been talking recently about the power of Jesus, that he he has power over diseases, and he has power over storms, and he has power even over death. And Asher wants to know how strong he is. Like, is, he, is Jesus stronger than you, Daddy? Yeah, he's stronger than me. But, Daddy, is he stronger than Hulk? Like, he, he wants, he's just trying to, like, find some sort of gauge. Where does Jesus fall on the hierarchy? And I've been trying to explain to him, no, he is an entirely different kind of strong. He's not just the strongest, he is He is outside of all strong things. Nothing can touch his power. Nothing can stop him. And this is the same truth that they draw out of Psalm 2, which they quote here in their prayer. If you look at verse 25, they say, God, you are the one who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. So Psalm two, they quote Psalm two, and it's in Psalm two, God has inspired David, right? Isn't that what they say? They say, Psalm two, that, that's something you said, God. You said by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David." And so David, inspired by the spirit, has, he, he writes this psalm that envisions kind of all the nations of the earth. Gathered together against God, all the kings of the earth, conspiring to overthrow God and His anointed, His king, the word there is Christ. now all, all these people have assembled, they want to they overthrow God. Verse three of Psalm two, which they don 't quote here, but which would have been in their minds as they thought about it, tells us what the kings of the earth were saying. They were saying, "Let us burst their bonds apart." and cast away their cords from us. We, we can break free from God. If we, if we work together, we're stronger than he is. We can get rid of God and his king. And verse four gives God's answer to that. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs, right? Even, even you put all the kings of the earth together, they're just, they're just kings of the earth. God is in heaven, He he rules over all things. No matter all these conspiracies, all these plots, he just laughs. Nothing in creation can stop him. Actually, so great is his power and wisdom that he can even use his opponents to accomplish his purposes. Right? So look, look at what these Christians are saying. Look at verse 27. They're saying, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They're saying that exactly what that verse says would happen just happened in Jerusalem. You said that the the Gentiles and the peoples would gather together, and that's just what happened, isn't it? That the, the Jews and the Romans worked together to crucify Jesus. You said... That the kings and the rulers would conspire against your anointed. And that's what happened, isn't it? Didn't Pontius Pilate the governor and, and Herod the tetrarch, didn't they work together to make this thing happen? Everyone gathered against Jesus. That's exactly what you said would happen. And what was the result? What was the outcome? This is amazing. Look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They all had their plots. They all had their ideas. They all had their motives. They all did what they wanted to do to Jesus. And what did it accomplish? Exactly what God had planned. Exactly what he sent Jesus into the world to do. That's why they plot in vain. Psalm 2 says, the Gentiles rage the people's plot in vain. They plot in vain because even their plots, God's going to use to just do what he wanted to do anyway. This is what we mean when we talk about the sovereignty of God. He rules All things. All these these groups and rulers, they plotted against Jesus, and God just used them to do exactly what Jesus came into the world to do. To die in the place of sinners. to, To give life to the world. God didn't just overcome their opposition. He used it to accomplish his victory. It was part of his plan all along. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. This is what Isaiah says. He says, I mean, God, speaking through Isaiah, says, I am God... And there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God declares the end from the beginning. God is able to say how it's going to be all the way through history because He is the one who makes it all happen. Nothing can stop Him from accomplishing His plan. For accomplishing all his purposes. His purposes are unstoppable. Now, the sovereignty of God is terrifying, should be terrifying for God's enemies, but it should give indestructible confidence to his children. Nothing can stop God from accomplishing all his good purposes for his people, for his children. Are you his child? Have you received into your life the gift that Jesus came and died to give? Now, Peter, Peter who, who was part of this group, Peter who had preached and been imprisoned, released, who had gone here, Peter part of this group praying. In one of his letters in the New Testament, Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. That's what God was trying to accomplish. That's what God did accomplish in sending his son and in all the rulers conspiring against him. Jesus died, and the reason he died was to bring us to God. We were cut off from God, separated from him by our sin, and he sent his son into the world to bring us home, to make us his children. Have you received that into your life, Have you asked him, do that for me? You died to bring us to God? Bring me to God. I'm out here alone. I know I don't deserve it. I know that I've turned from him. I know that I have sinned. There's nothing I can do to get clean. But Jesus, you died to bring us to God, the righteous for the unrighteous. Bring me to God. Bring me to life. Make me God's child. Have you done that? If God is your father and when you come to him in prayer, you, you, you approach one who has infinite power and who loves you and accepts you completely. Of course the Christians prayed. When you have a father like this, why would you go anywhere else? These people were afraid. Of course they were. But they knew that their father was the sovereign Lord. He was so much stronger than the Jewish leaders that he had used their opposition to Jesus to accomplish salvation for the world. And so now they see, what do they see? They see that the rulers, they're at it again. They're trying to do the same thing again. They're they're just plotting together to stop the church, to stop the gospel. They're saying, they're doing it again, Lord. You do it again. Do it again. Use what they're doing. Work in this situation and do what you intend to do. Get the gospel out. Don't stop. That's what they're saying. Just imagine what it was like to be these Christians. They, they, In the moment, they hear about this opposition, they think about themselves in prison or being persecuted or being killed and they're afraid. And then just as they pray, just as they remember that God is the creator of all things, as they remember that he's the one who a thousand years ago said just that this thing would happen, imagine the confidence that came into their hearts. Oh, what peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do you have this confidence? Do you know that the God you encounter in prayer is greater than all your troubles, so much greater that even if he doesn't rescue you out of them, he can use them to accomplish exactly what he intends in your life. If we saw God as he is, as he describes himself in scripture, we wouldn't go to him as a last resort. We wouldn't go to him when everything else fails. These, these Christians, we'd be like these Christians, as soon as they had a need, they lifted their voices to him. He was their first call. That's the confidence we can have. Now, to this point in the prayer, the Christians haven't even asked for anything, have they? They've just been, they've just been remembering who God is, just recalling who the God is that they're speaking to. But now they have something to ask. What is it? So finally, the concern of prayer is boldness, To be faithful. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now just think. Think of all they could have prayed for in this moment. Think maybe think about what you would have prayed for if you just had your life threatened by people who had the power to actually do something about it. They could have prayed for protection. Right? They could have prayed for favor with the authorities. They could have prayed for wisdom to help us to know what to do. And none of those things are bad, right? Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, he told us, you can pray, pray, deliver us from evil. It's okay to pray for protection. It's okay to pray for favor, right? Nehemiah, do you remember Nehemiah in the Old Testament? He had to ask the king that he worked for to be able to leave his service and go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he prayed that God would give him favor in the sight of the king. It's okay to pray for wisdom, right? James, in his letter, tells us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It's okay to pray for all those things, but that's not where they started. That wasn't their first priority. That's not what they felt the most need of. What they most felt need of was boldness. What is boldness? Boldness is courage in the face of risk. It's not fearlessness in the sense of not having any fears, but it's not being ruled by fear. It's not being hindered by fear. These early Christians, they didn't want to hide who they were. They didn't want to keep the good news to themselves. They were afraid, but they didn't want fear to determine what they were going to do, what they were going to say, how they were going to live. They needed boldness, and they knew they didn't have it within them, right? Boldness does not come from deep down inside. You do not look inwardly for boldness. Boldness comes from God, When you know that the God that you approach in prayer is a God of sovereign strength, you can bring to him your weakness. You can bring to him what you lack. You can come with an empty cup and say, what I need, I don't have. God, fill me. That's what they did. Where's your weakness? When you think about, when you think, I mean, really think about this life that we've seen through scripture that God is calling us to, this life of Making disciples, of, of not being embarrassed to talk about Jesus and what he's done in our lives, of turning the conversation that way. This life of, of looking around you, being attentive to where God's working, and then courageously stepping into the moments when you can say something, when you can invite someone to something, when you can ask if someone wants to meet you and read the Bible. When you think about that life, what scares you? I mean, where do you encounter, where do you experience fear? Are you afraid of looking silly? Are you afraid of losing a friendship? Are you afraid you're going to get a reputation at work and it's going to get you off the fast track for promotion? Are you afraid that you'll do it and you won't know what to say? These Christians were weak too. They were new. They were afraid. And they brought their weakness to God and asked him to give them boldness to be faithful. Bring your weakness to him. Bring your weakness tonight. Let's pray about it together. We won't be able to pray like this until, like these Christians, until we have a purpose greater than our own comfort. Until we're more concerned about people hearing about Jesus than what it might cost us to speak. These people were afraid, but they didn't mainly want to be safe. They mainly wanted to be faithful. Is that true of you? And if you can admit that it's not, I think we know who you can ask for help. It was true of these Christians, and God answered their prayer. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The room was shaken. They had their own private earthquake. Now, in Scripture, earthquakes are a sign of the presence of God. Right? So you think about Israel gathered at Mount Sinai, where God gave the Ten Commandments. And Moses tells us that, that when God came down, the whole mountain trembled. Or, or think about Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, his call in Isaiah chapter 6, says that he had a vision of the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And it tells us that the, the foundations of the thresholds of the temple shook It's earthquakes are a sign of the presence of God because God, he exists outside of creation, right? He's not part of creation. And when an infinite God descends into creation, stuff breaks. It's too traumatic. The earth can't handle it. The room shakes, right? That's what happens here. God came down and he filled them with the Holy Spirit and they received exactly what they'd asked for, boldness to be faithful and do you know what happened to them after this, as we, as we move through Acts? They continued speaking the word. Do you know what happened? They got persecuted. There was, this, there was a guy among them named Stephen. And Stephen was, was you know, doing wonders, and he was preaching, and he was stoned to death. And this, a persecution arose after the death of Stephen that drove most of the Christians out of Jerusalem. They had to leave their homes. And as they went, as they went to these, they were refugees. As they went to these places, they continued speaking about Jesus. And people heard about him and trusted in him who never would have heard if they stayed in Jerusalem. And one of their persecutors, Saul, was converted. Became Paul, the apostle, and and took the gospel all over the Roman Empire. And he was persecuted too. And he was arrested. And he was taken to jail in Rome. And you know what happened there? People in Rome heard the gospel who never would have heard if Paul would have stayed at home. They weren't safe. God didn't keep them safe, but He used them to make disciples. This passage is a call to pray. God wants us to see His sovereign strength and know that we can bring our troubles to Him. But His purpose is not to make us comfortable, He loves us too much for that. His purpose is to make us like Jesus, full of love full of courage, speaking into a dark world, the light of God's truth, inviting people to find eternal life in Jesus. God has not promised to keep us safe. He has not promised to make our lives comfortable, but he has promised that he will never leave us and that nothing can happen to us except by his purpose and plan. Can you be content with that? Can you trust a God so great that he could speak the universe into existence, so great that he could declare the end from the beginning and perfectly work out his plan through history, and so good that the centerpiece of that plan would be coming into the world himself to die in the place of sinners, to bring us to life, and to bring us home? Can you trust this God? Will you ask him for boldness to be faithful? Let's pray. Our Father, we love what this passage says about you, that you rule all things, that you are the king, you are the master, you are the sovereign Lord, that not, not even a bird falls to the ground apart from your will that you are the one who declares the end from the beginning that you accomplish all your purpose that even when people oppose you even their opposition becomes an opportunity for you to show your power that even their opposition becomes part of the way you do what you'd always planned to do you are a great god you are a god of infinite power and yet you are a god of such tenderness that your plan would would center on sending jesus to die for us so we can be forgiven, so we can be made new, so we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, so we can serve you. God, we are your servants. We are your children. And we do not have in ourselves what we need to be faithful to what you've called us to. We don't have it in us. God, we're afraid and we feel nervous. We feel weak. We're unsure. We don't... We don't want to do, a lot of the times, the things you've called us to do. And so we just bring that to you now. We bring to you our weakness. We bring to you our lack. We bring to you all the things that we don't have and ask you that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you would make us faithful, that you would give us courage to do what you've called us to do. And we pray that that would result in people trusting in you, people being brought to life in you and you being praised in our families, in Cayman, and around the world. Father, we we look to you. Only you can do it. And so we ask that you would. In Jesus' name, amen.